Hey guys. Good morning, guys and gals. Oh, what a good morning. What a good morning. That's great. That's great. Totally great. Um, man, my wife set me up a workout. I, uh, it was funny because today or yesterday when I was sitting down to write in the morning, I um, kind of looked at it and was like, all right, why am I doing this? Because that's the thing that, you know, when you when you struggle with motivation, you're like, what's the fucking point? Why am I doing this? Um, or when you wake up in the morning, you need to have a, a drive behind you. You can't just be like, I'm going to do it. Yay. Because that kind of rah-rah motivation lasts about 0.5 seconds. There's long enough to get up and turn your snooze button off. Yeah, that's what's going on. Um... So, yeah, basically that's the thought process. Um, when I, um, so I did it. I, did, I realized that I'm doing it for my daughter. I realized that I look at this and I say, I am going this way and trying to do this because I want my daughter to, um, say my daughter turns 21. I am going to be close to 50, if not 50, you know, and she looks at me and says, Dad, I want to go do this, do an Ironman, do a marathon, do whatever. I want to be in a state where I'm like, let's do that. Let's go for it. Let's fire it up, you know? Not in a state of complete disarray and my body's shutting down on me and stuff like that. Not that saying that I know too many 50-year-olds that are like that, but I know a fair amount. So I'm doing this because of her and because I want to be the best father that I can be. And I'm starting this in small places. I'm starting this as saying, hey, I set an alarm to get up at six o'clock every day. Did I get up at six o'clock every day? No, but did I build a habit enough to be like, I can get up at six every day? Now, the, the downside that I had with that was I would do that on the days that I needed to, which is four days, five days a week. Um, I would get up at six and I wouldn't have a really nailed down morning routine. So sometimes I'd get up, but you know, in the way I'm just kind of, I was gathering information enough to be like, don't pick your phone up. Cause if you pick your phone up, you just waste away an hour of your morning and you only get two hours in your morning. And right now I wake up early enough where I, those two hours are largely uninterrupted. Um, different stuff like that. I've really done it in small paces. So it's kind of cool to be like, all right, let's get after this. But anyways, enough of me waffling. Chapter five, open play. What is the best position for the referee in each situation? A natural question for sure, but the answer is even one more natural. There is no one best situated position for the referee, but within the natural variations of your positional play, you will find aspects of the game to support your choice of position. You should always look for a position where you can insert the following bullet points. Have a clear view of as many players as possible to get the overall picture many players as possible. Fair enough. Have a clear view of the ball and or the ball carrier to determine knock-ons and forward passes. Okay, so as many players, the ball or the ball carrier. Uh, Be close to play so that you can make instant decisions in contact situations, but don't get too close. Stay out of the fucking way. That's my added. Um, Interact with specific players, either to ensure the continuity of the game or to manage preventative situations. So be able to talk to them and have them have them hear you. Um, and ensure that players are not uh, irritated and certainly not obstructed by your movements. So, number one thing is see as much as you can, and two is stay out of the way. 
Fair enough. Or rather, see see as much as you can, see the important stuff, and stay out of the way. And be close enough, and kind of four, be close enough to manage it. Be close enough to talk and have a presence. I, I remember I had this one guy, he um, had refereed soccer before. And he was literally just jogging around behind the ball. Really, literally like probably at certain points 30 meters away. And I was like, oh God, oh God, this is bad. This is really bad. So then we kind of had a halftime and I'm like, all right, let's coach him a little bit. Let's get in there and because he's missing everything. You know, because in soccer you can, it's a, it's a large field and players are spread out over it. Um, and that's not a big deal. You can just, you can run with that. That's not a problem. Um, and the contact situations are very obvious. But in rugby they're very constant and tightly quartered so it's like you got five bodies flying around and you're 30 meters away guess what you can't see shit especially if you're short like me so don't do that um kickoffs and restarts kickoff is described by many experienced referees as one of the most enjoyable events in a game wow compared to football where it's the most boring they just kick it out of bounds and restart and we're good um it is a procedure in itself and contains many different roles. The kicker, who is ready to take the drop kick in the middle of the halfway line. The referee, who performs a last confirmation with two captains. Am I going slow enough? Not yet. Um, the touch judges, who take their positions. The other 29 players on the pitch who are eager to get going. Note that the beginning of each half is the only time you blow your whistle to start rather than to stop play. That's fair. So we should enjoy this. We should be like, yay. Happy whistle to start the game. Um, why are they doing this? Restart kick occurs after a score or a touchdown. Yes, we know. The place They place the same obligations on the kicker as the kickoff does, as the players as the kickoff does. A dropout is also a method of restarting the game, and it is always a kick taken by a team who... We're defending prior to the kick being awarded. The dropout takes place on or behind the 22-meter line. Okay. Task one. Consider the possible referee running lines started from the standard position of the referee at kickoffs and restarts. Interesting. Running lines. I like it. Develop a list of arguments and priorities for where the ball has to check uh, on in each situation. Numbers one to five indicate where the ball lands in each situation. Okay. Um... So it shows the referee behind and to the left of the kicker. Or to the left of the kicker, excuse me, directly to the left. Um, Because the forwards are lined up to the referees and the kicker's right. So naturally, most of the kick is going to go that way. Um, You can even ask, say, hey, which way are you kicking it? I'm going left, sir. Okay, thank you. You can line up behind him. This is one no-no that I will harp on every time you no matter what the game you start around the kicker you always start around the kicker I have seen so many referees who think it's easy to be like oh well I can just line up on the 10 meter line and it looks perfectly fine it is an obvious shortcut the players see you being lazy the coaches see you being lazy therefore you are lazy not rocket science guys don't go to the 10 meter line you can cheat a little bit even that's fine. Dude, kicker starts his approach. You start moving forward. Kick happens. You scan to the right, scan to the left. You got everybody on sides pretty much, more or less. 
you're a, a pace in front of them, they overtake you, you're sprinting towards the ball. You're, now, th- this is the way that I was taught to run. I was taught to run north-south. Okay, that way you have a clear snapshot of everything that's going on, kind of angled slightly towards where the ball is going. Okay? That's just what I was taught. Good. Because if you're running towards the ball, everybody's running towards the ball. You're in amongst the mob, and I'm kind of like, I need to have a panoramic view of everything to see it. Do I miss things? Absolutely. There are certain negatives to it. That's just what I was taught and what I kind of prefer. So once the ball is caught and comes down, excuse me, I'll make a judgment based on what I see, and then we go from there. Um, No, sorry. That was stupid. I turned it over, and I'm like, wait, we're already on another module? Interesting. So there's not much for open play. So I'll go into doing a little bit more. And they only talk about the kickoff and the in goal. In goal. The in goal area requires special attention from the referee, firstly, because of the intensity play can take on close to the goal line, and secondly, because of the need to understand the laws of the game that apply in that area and are even, in my opinion, heightened when you're in that area. A professional foul within the 5-meter line or even inside the 22 is usually a yellow card because we're getting closer to the try line. It matters a little bit more. Again, it is your presence and your ability to make the correct decision that can contribute to a good game of rugby. You must be aware of the definitions of the ingle area and its boundaries and the implications of the ball being grounded by either the attacking or the defending team. Now... Um, match officials need also be aware that tackles, rucks, and mauls, and scrums cannot take place in the in-goal area because it is not a part of the field of play. That's a good point. Nevertheless, forward passes and knock-ons can happen there, as well as general offsides for players of both teams. Okay, um, and that's the weird. Weirdly enough, that's the end of the module. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about positioning um, as we go. Are you going to accelerate? I'm going to accelerate past you because you're not accelerating fast enough. Um, people, people, people. So in goal, the number one question to ask is who brought the ball in? Okay, that is really like the big one. Who brought the ball in? Okay, because if the defending team brings the ball in and it's then grounded by the defending team, guess what? It's not a 22-meter drop, it's a scrum. If the attacking ball team brought the ball in, the number one question you need to clarify is who brought the ball into the end goal? Okay? Very important. Um, so if the attacking team brought the ball in and is grounded by the defending team, what is it? It's a 22 dropout. If the defending team brought the ball in and the attacking team grounds it or touches it out of bounds or knocks it on or whatever... It's just important to know who brings it in. Okay? It's, it's definitely difficult to do, but knock-ons can still happen there. So, understand what, what is happening. Understand who the, gets the put in. Understand all these different things. Um, and be aware that they are. it is not the field of play. Now, this is a heavily debated thing. What happens to a mall when it is pushed into the try line? I know the defenders, have their new offside line is the try line. So they no longer have to join from the back. I mean, not that they can't, you know, but it's not a mall. 
what is it? We don't really know. It's standing up. It's a pile of guys. It's a, you know, but I know where their offsides line is. I know that they can no longer really join it because it's kind of going and they can join from the last foot, but it doesn't really matter about the last foot because there is no offsides, but they can't collapse it, but it's not a scrum, but it's not a mall. So what is it? You know, so these are the questions that, you know, we run through as referees. We just kind of argue about it. Um, but I do know that their offsides line is the, um, the try line. So the, that's why when a mall, like a five meter line out is driving towards it, they have to, they start lining up on the try line once it's, once the last foot is over the, the try line. They start lining up on the try line trying to hold it up. Um, oh man, positioning. Yeah, it's a can of worms. Um, it's difficult to explain, but basically the first four things that we said, see as much as you can, see the important stuff, see the ball, see the ball carrier. Um, be close enough to manage and get out of the way. Nobody likes a referee who's... Man- I mean, the thing is, and this this is, again, there's so many different factors that go into this, where you are on the field. What's the conditions of play, you know? I, conditions of play is a very different aspect. If it's a wet, muddy day, guess what? They're probably not going to be slinging it wide. You need to get up the close and tight. You need to manage and be proactive and really talk to them. And make sure they understand what the, pr- the perspective is. That you understand that. I mean, I would even address that in, in the pregame chat. Guys, it's a wet and muddy day. We're doing the front row chat. You guys are probably going to have a, a heavy work today. Today, Do me a couple favors. Work on rolling away. And work on keeping your feet. You know. Do me a favor now. Well, I haven't really fucked you over yet. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But it's... You, you can throw a joke in there or something like that, but really the whole message is, guys, it's going to be shitty today. Let's sort that out. Let's get it right. Um, you're going to get up close. You're going to get far. But then again, if it's hot, dry, and it's going to be a fast game, quick rucks, quick ball, fast game, you know, I'm not saying you always need want to do this, but you could manage the game from further away. You know, one of those things that it's just, it's very doable and you have to adjust your positioning to the style of game. Um, positioning on lineouts. I once was told, put the sun at your back. You know, pick a, pick pick one corner of the lineout and put your sun at your back. Just to vary your position, just to keep them guessing where you're going to be. Uh, inside the 22, I was always told to go 15 meters in defensive. Thank you, Richard Every. Because um, if a mall, or is it, yeah, is that definitely defensive? Because um, if a mall breaks through, you are in an excellent position to do that. Um, what else? It, it's not. Basically, get out of the way. Adapt your style to get out of the way. Find four or five positions that you really like and that you're comfortable in. And that you can kind of like be like, all right, I'm comfortable here. I can do this. Um, if you find those positions, it's pretty much whatever works after that. So that's the big thing. Um, I'm pulling into work. I'm a couple minutes late. So I'm going to leave you guys with that. Um, we'll probably talk more positioning, but we'll see what happens. You guys have a good day.
Good morning, campers. Rise and shine. So, whew, busy last 10 minutes of the morning. Getting out. Into it. I, got, I also won a uh, free Tim Hortons cup of coffee, which is very exciting. Big win. Um, so naturally, I have to go get like an, you know, the largest cup of coffee they have because if they're giving it to me for free, then why would I not? Um, so yeah, I don't have time to go get it right now, but hopefully somebody will go take a run to Tim Hortons and I'll be like, hey, by the way, um, yeah, what's going on guys? How's your morning going? Um, or whenever you're listening to this. Um, so here's the deal. I, uh, we talked about positioning and it was a very scant section. They talk about kickoffs and in goal, which I think is you know, I, I, the other thing about the level two that I'm realizing was they can't have just left that there because positioning is a massive thing that is rather important. Um, so what I'm going to do, and it was a largely discussion based in the level two. We would do a lot more talking instead of just reading from the book like I was doing. Um, so let me just go through and talk a little bit more about positioning. Um, I, I kind of put those things out of order yesterday. I think I had four things. One was see as much as you can, see the important stuff, stay out of the way, very important, and um, be close enough to manage. So four things right there. If we're putting those in order, like where should I stand? First question is always where can I see the important stuff? I need to be where I can see the important stuff. If I'm in the way then I'm in the way. But you need to be there and be present enough and be able to see the grounding of the ball. You need to see the release of the ball. You need to see um, as much as you can. Like, I understand that there are situations where you're not going to see everything. Lineouts, you can see it from one angle. You know, you got maybe like, what, 180 degrees using your peripheries that you can see. And there's things that, you know, I, height plays in a, a difference. All these different things play a difference. You're not going to see everything, so you need to put yourself in the most advantageous position possible to see A, the important stuff, and then B, as much as you can. Okay, now there's a lot of different positions floating around, and there's no one best. You have to have a couple positions in your back pocket to adapt. Now, I'm going to do my best to describe these. It's very difficult to do, obviously not using a blackboard or a picture or anything like that. So here's the deal. You want to be on... So if the ball is moving forward, on the attacking side, you would be on the side of the breakdown that is where the attackers are coming from. You want to have the ball move in front of you a lot of the times. You very rarely want the... You never want the ball to move behind you without seeing it. Okay? Um... And it's not a never, but it's a, you know, most of the time... What's happening? The ball is where the action is. So if the ball goes behind you and the guy knocks it on right behind you and you're not looking, what are you doing? You know. So mainly, you want your attention to be on the ball or where the ball is going. Um, and again, none of these are hard and fast. Like never, you know. Sometimes, always, never is kind of like the thing. So never is very rarely the situation. So it's sometimes and always is what we're sometimes. In, Made myself mixed up. So, you usually want the ball in front of you. You want to see the ball. 
the ball's where the action is, so it makes sense to look for that. Um, you don't want to get too close. Like you, you don't want to gum up the works of their operating machine. So if you're getting there, like I, I was a scrum half from the first when I started playing scrum half, I wasn't very good. You know, I I, I would um, get super close to the breakdown when the ball wasn't clean. I was smaller than a lot of my forwards, so I would get there super fast, and then I would just be like, oh shit, you know, I uh, I'm too close. I can't, you know, and they'd get in the way, and the ball wouldn't be clean. So I'd basically getting sucked up into the ruck and. Therefore, I couldn't release the back. We couldn't pass the ball to the 10. He couldn't release the back line. So basically, we were just kind of were like, all right, there's a proper order of things. Let us clean the ball out, and then you go. Um, so I had to learn to keep my distance, which was good. The first position I learned was called the saddle position or the jockey position, uh, which is basically, or the chariot position is another word for it. Um, so if you're looking at a breakdown from the attacking side, so the, the, the ball is going in the direction you are facing, um, you're seeing the breakdown in front of you, probably about, I'd say, no more than 10 meters in front of you. Now, this is not the preferred position. It's more of a transition position, but it does come in useful occasionally. Um, so what you can see in this position you can see the ball, you can see the scrum half, you can read the scrum half's feet, which is a technique that I have took me a long time to really kind of pick up. Read the scrum half's feet, you can take a glance at it and understand which direction the ball is 99% of the time going, um, and you can anticipate and flow that way. Um, what else? You can see the offense offside line, which is not the best place to look at the offside line because you know, it's if you consistently sit in that position, the wingers can start to cheat up, and you don't really have a good look at the line. You see what I'm saying? Um, they can kind of the wingers on the outside can start to cheat up a little bit, and you don't have the integrity of that line of sight because you're kind of looking at it, and it's like you won't really tell. Um, so it's difficult. It's not the best offside position, um, but you can keep charge of the breakdown. You don't have a great presence, but you're close enough to kind of drive the chariot is what they call it. So if the scrum half and the breakdown is the chariot, you're sitting back there with the reins in your hands and you're seeing what you need to see. Can you see the important stuff? Yes. Can you see a lot of the field? You can see what's a lot of the important stuff on the field. You can see the 16 players that are usually the forwards right there. Um, you can see, you know, most of the field, the important stuff on the field, most of the stuff on the field. Yes. Um, so it's not good on offside lines. And it's more of a transition period because a lot of the works for the offense happen right where you're standing. You know, if they're running forward bangers, you're right in the way. You know, if they're floating around behind it, you're right in the way. So it's kind of like you don't want to be there too often. Um, you can't see the whole of the side of the breakdown, you know, stuff like that. So again, this is a more of a, the jockey or the saddle or the chariot is more of a transition period. You've got on the A-line. Now, if we're looking down, straight down from a breakdown, like uh, the bird's eye view, you've got the circle, or the rough circle, which is the breakdown. You've got the defensive offsides line, you know, which is the last foot in the ruck for them. And if you draw an imaginary line, which is the attacking offsides line, which is basically the last foot in the ruck for the attacking ball, that is what I call the A-line, or the attacking line. Okay, so the A-line is usually where you want to be. Now, one trick to this position, 
or pretty much anywhere, any overarching thing for positioning. You want your hips to the tri line, okay? Both tri lines, but you don't want to be facing the ball very often. You want to be hips to the tri lines, looking at the ball, so your head can be on a swivel. That way, you're running north south. That way, you're you're facing north south. You're not looking at the ball and turning your back to some of the field. It's not an ideal thing to do. Okay. Now there are times where you do it, but just rule of thumb is usually hips to the tri lines. When you are um, on the A line, now this is kind of a cool variable. The A line is a great place to be because you can be five meters away from the breakdown. Okay. You can, you can be on the A-line. You're not right in the way of the works, gumming up anything. Um, but you, you have to be very... you, you got to be in an active stance here. You can't be planting your feet here because guess what? If you're on the open side and you're five meters away from the breakdown and they're running bangers, guess what you're going to get run into by? A 300-pound prop who's just going to bulldoze you. So you need to be cognizant of everything that's going around on around you, even more so because it's your neck on the line. Um, now the thing about this is that it's variable. Is that the A line is kind of like a sliding place to be. You know, you you can be from five to fifteen meters, oh, depending on the style of play. Like I had a friend of mine um, in Australia where he um, he refereed a game completely from about fifteen meters away from the breakdown. Because there wasn't really a contest at the breakdown. There wasn't really anything going on. It was just quick balls swinging it wide. Quick balls swinging it wide. So why would he feel the need to get two meters away from the ball and manage a breakdown that wasn't even being contested? What's the point? So he looked at that and said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to stay here because that's the style of play. Now, he was available to go in close if he needed to. If there was a hotly contested breakdown, he had enough of a snapshot to get there and to do that, but he didn't feel the need to do that every breakdown. Now, and then again, this is the beauty of the game. It is a breathing and flowing game. You must be able to adapt and to have your toolbox ready for what the game needs. And you can't just pick one be like, I'm going to be in the chariot position, and that's it. It doesn't work that way. You've got to get out of the way. So as long as you're seeing the important stuff, as long as you are... Um, close enough to manage as long as you're seeing as much as you can and um, you're out of the way actually no let's let's say you're seeing the important stuff you're out of the way close enough to manage and you're seeing as much as you can okay but those are the things that if we're looking at in those four criteria in close to that order then things will go much smoother um so the A-line position didn't kind of float there. So if they're doing bangers and you're 10 meters away, you're pretty safe. If they're kind of running a one-in ball or whatever the heck, you know, uh, inside ball from the 10, you're running the bangers that way, you can kind of just float further out if you want to, or you could just take a step, turn into the defensive side, and kind of let the defensive line come up behind you. Um, and then, you know, now this is something that I struggled with because... I would take two steps and build up speed and then turn around and then there'd be a negative tackle so the ball would be going backwards and I'd be like 10 meters out of position. So not ideal. So take a step, let the defensive line come up around you and then flow backwards and get find the ball. Um, 
That way you're kind of putting the defensive line, letting the defensive line take the hit, which it's their job to do and what they want to do. Be careful not to get in their way. So that's kind of the A-line in a nutshell. Um, it's usually you want the you want to see the open side. Or you, you want to be on the open side. You don't, I mean, but the pros and the cons, the pros are you have a good presence. You're right there. You can manage very clearly. Um, the cons, um, or the pro, another pro is you can see the offsides line very well. You just scan, you know, turn your head, check out the winger, make a motion, get him to do it. If not, you go back. Um, yeah, and you, you're really in a great position for the next phase of play. The weakness is if they go blindside. If they go blindside, you're kind of out of position, but it's not irreparable if you're in an active, active and ready to go. You have exit strategies. You have places you can go. You're not just stuck in a hole. Um, those are the main two that I currently use. Another one is you're on the A-line, but you're deeper. You're set back a bit. Um, so kind of the ball, you're almost like next to the 10. So they would kind of pass the 10, the ball, the ball will go in front of you. Um, but you're kind of like in the jockey position, but to the right a little bit. If the, the right is the open side. Um, so the pass would go there. They would do their works. You're kind of in a good position to kind of just be there and flow with where the way the ball's going and, um, you know, do that. So that, that's just kind of the idea. Um, there's pros and cons to that. Defensive. Um, you rarely want to be defensive. You want to, inside the try zone is when you must work as hard as you can. Okay, inside the five meter line, it's just it's imperative that you're there because oftentimes it's just you. Oftentimes it's just you doing it, so you kind of really got to get in there and be like, all right, we need to we need to do the work. Um, so yeah, so I think inside the defensive, inside the five meter, is absolutely imperative. You want to really be moving. You need to get on your toes and be moving. Um, if you're not, you are really screwing over the whole game because this is the important stuff and these are the big calls that um, you need to make. Uh, sorry to cut that short. I, I'm, I'm arriving at work, and I don't want to do a whole other positioning thing. But um, any questions, feel free to shoot me a, a message or comment or whatever the heck, and I will go from there. But other than that, guys, have a great day. I will chat more tomorrow. And what the heck is the next module? I don't know. We'll get to it tomorrow. We'll see you all later.